Some of the greatest stories of faith come from God's chosen people in the Old Testament. What can we learn from these men and women who were earnestly seeking God? Walk with us as we capture snapshots of faith from the great cloud of witnesses and the lessons we can learn from them today. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read, it begins with this amazing definition of faith. Now, this is faith. Gives us this great definition. And then what we read are great examples of people that have lived before us. Broken people, sinful people like all of us, who lived lives that were marked by faith living out that definition of faith that we read at the very beginning of Hebrews 11. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to hear this. We've just read this definition of faith and how all these people lived out faith in different examples of their lives. And then we come to chapter 12, and here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? All those people who have lived before us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that God has set for us. In other words, their lives serve to encourage us, to inspire us, to challenge us, to help us to live lives of faith as well. And so in this series called Snapshots, we're going to be taking a snapshot of different people throughout the Old Testament. Now when I say snapshot, that is exactly what it is. It's going to be one little picture out of their entire lives. We're not going to go, for example, through the entire story of Abraham this morning. We are going to take a snapshot, and we want to learn from that example that we saw, as Ari read, from Genesis chapter 22. And so it's important each week that you follow the reading guide that's in your bulletin this morning, because we give you readings, as we always do, Monday through Sunday. And the reason for those readings are so that you'll be prepared for what we're going to talk about the next week. Next week, we're talking about Joseph. And you're going to read the entire story of Joseph from which we are going to preach on just a snapshot of his life. And we are going to learn and see what the Lord has to say to us through that example. This morning, we're looking at this incredible story that we just read. And it's, a, it's an example that is, well, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It sounds kind of cruel on the surface. But there's a lot happening here that I want you to see. And my prayer is that as we leave this morning, our faith will have been inspired and encouraged. And we will allow the Lord to speak to us through his example of how he relates to Abraham, and through Abraham's own story. And so, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to 
to Genesis chapter 22. And as you do, I want you to see this from Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, without faith, it is impossible, excuse me, to please God. Without faith, we cannot please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. I want to ask you this morning, are you earnestly seeking after the Lord? That is how we live by faith, is by doing the things we just sang about in song, that we will depend on the Lord, that we will lay our lives before the Lord, that we will serve the Lord, that we will love the Lord. So I want to show you five things that I want to share with you that come out of this incredibly challenging story of Abraham and his son Isaac and God. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. First of all, Abraham teaches us that obedience to the Lord is to be immediate and it's to be complete. Obedience to God is to be immediate, and it's to be complete. I, as I read through this remarkable account, there were different things that jumped out at me. And you'll see this on the screen as I read to you verses 1 to 3. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. So this entire encounter is a test of Abraham. A test of what? It's going to be a test of his faith. A test of whether he really believes and trusts in God. And we read on, and it says this. God said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now that really struck me. Here I am, God. Here I am. God, I'm going to respond to you. As I hear your voice, I'm going to respond to you immediately. Here I am, Lord. Now, how did God speak to Abraham? We don't know. It could have been a voice, an audible voice. But the way that God speaks to us today, he can speak to us any way he wants, but the way he speaks to us today is primarily through his word, through the scriptures, through the Bible. This is why we encourage you to read the Bible every day. And before I go to read the Bible, I'll often say these words, here I am, Lord, what do you want to say to me this morning? Here I am, Lord, what do I need to hear from you this morning? God, speak to me, transform me, change me, empower me, strengthen me, inform me, lead me, guide me. Lord, here I am. I want to hear from you. Now, when I say, here I am, Lord, and when Abraham says, here I am, Lord, he's saying to the Lord, what is it you want to say to me? I'm open to whatever it is you have to say. Now, I'm going to confess to you something that I think is common to most of us, if not all of us, that there are certain things we just don't want to hear from God. There are certain things that we're we just don't, we just kind of push away. Lord, I don't want to hear that I have to forgive this person. Lord, I don't want to hear that I am being called by you to serve in this way. God, I don't want to hear that you want me to be generous. God, I don't want to hear 
certain things. God, I don't want to hear that you want me to go, to leave everything that I know and to go. God, I don't want to hear that you want me to leave my career to serve the Lord in some place in the world. And so when we say, here I am, Lord, we're saying, God, I want to hear what you have to say to me. It may come through a sermon. It may come through a teaching that you hear on the radio or on TV. It may come through, um, through a friend. It may come through a Bible study. But our posture should always be, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready to hear what you have to say to me. We read on. We say, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Oh boy, are you kidding God? Certainly I'm not hearing you. Certainly this is unreasonable. Oh God, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that, God. Is that how Abraham responds? Listen to what it says. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He didn't wait. His response was immediate obedience to God. The Lord said, this is what I'm calling you to do. Abraham didn't argue with him. Abraham stood up the very next morning, got up early in the morning, and he began to prepare for this journey. To take his son from his perspective, which we're going to look at in just a moment, and offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. That's a hard word, isn't it? I'm a dad. I can't imagine that. And if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, they waited many, many, many years to have this son. In fact, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, well beyond the childbearing years when they had their son Isaac. The Lord said to Abraham, take your son whom you love, your one and only son. Take him to the mountain of Moriah, to the place I am calling you to be, and there offer him as a sacrifice to me. What does Abraham do? Early the next morning, he gets up and he prepares for the journey. He doesn't wait. He doesn't say tomorrow, Lord. He doesn't say next week, Lord. He says, he responds immediately to God. Friends, I want to say something that some of you need to hear this morning. I have met many people over the years, many people over the years who have said to me, Pastor, I'm going to get serious about God when? When I'm out of school. When I'm making, get my business off the ground and I'm making money and I'm secure. When I get married. When my child is born. Friends, the time to get serious about God is now. God calls us to be serious about our relationship with him. And I have even seen in my own life I, that tendency to say, when then? When this happens, then I'll get serious about my walk with the Lord. We cannot live in the when then 
mentality. When is now. When God calls, we respond now. We respond immediately. And that's what Abraham did on a call that is probably, I would dare say, far more challenging than anything that we in this room have ever been called to do. Don't get caught up in the win-then paradigm. Rather, say, yes, Lord, now is the time. Now is the time, God, when I will respond to your word. And then we read on, and it says, He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. We had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place that God had told him about. You see, Abraham is doing everything that the Lord called him to do. The Lord had told him about this place on Moriah. We don't have all that God said to Abraham, but somehow he had described to Abraham when he went to Moriah what he would be looking for. And Abraham did everything that God called him to do. He wasn't partially obedient. He wasn't mainly obedient. He was obedient to God in the call of God in his life. Now, I do want to say to everybody here this morning, when I think I have heard from God something that is huge, like this, I always run it by other Christians, other believers. And I ask them, is this consistent with the Word of God? Will you pray about this with me? Is God, am I hearing God correctly? And once I know that this is the Word of God, I respond. Here's a second thing that I want you to see, and that is Abraham believed the promise of God. This is, this is amazing. On the third day, on the third day, Abraham, so they've been journeying now, this is the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place that God had described from a distance. He saw it. There it is. That's the place God described. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now hear this. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What is Abraham saying? We, Isaac and I, are going up to that place that God has called us to be. We're going there. And then we are going to worship the Lord there. And then we are coming back to you. So who is we? It's Abraham and Isaac. Now, wait a minute. Abraham is sacrificing Isaac. So what makes him think that he's going to be bringing him back? Well, we don't have all that was going on in Abraham's mind. But as I looked at this, there are two things that Abraham could have believed. Number one, he could have believed that God was unfaithful and that God had lied to him. Because what the Lord had said to Abraham was that through Isaac, he would become the father of a great nation. He would become the father of people so numerous that it would be like trying to count the sand on a beach. Through Isaac, Abraham would become the father of a great nation. Well, wait a minute. If it's through Isaac, then Isaac can't die because Isaac isn't married. Isaac's had no children. So what is Abraham thinking? 
Abraham knows that God would not lie and that God would not be unfaithful. And so he believes that God is going to do something remarkable. He believes that God is going to do something amazing. Well, what does he believe? We see what he believes in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. This is what is going through Abraham's mind. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, what were the promises? That he would become the father of a great nation through Isaac, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. The promise cannot be fulfilled in this way through Isaac if Isaac dies. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So what is Abraham thinking? We see it here. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Friends, do you see this? Abraham wasn't dragging his feet because he knew that God was going to do something great. He reasoned that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead after he offered him as a sacrifice. It never got that far. But he knew knew the nature of God. God will always be faithful. God cannot lie. So this has to be a miracle in some way, according to how Abraham is thinking. Why? Because he believed and had faith, complete faith, in the promises of God. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you have that same kind of confidence, that same kind of faith in the promises that God has made? See, what happened all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, they didn't believe the promises of God. They questioned the nature of God. They questioned whether God really loved them and really wanted what was best. They didn't really believe it. They lacked faith in who God is. I believe that God is faithful to every promise that he has made. I believe that God does not lie, and it is impossible for God to lie. And because I believe that, now hear this, I make decisions in my life in this world in light of the promises that God has made to me. So what are some of those promises? Well, he promised that he would never leave me or forsake me. Do you ever have times when it seems like the Lord is distant? So do I. But here's what I know. God promised that he would never leave me or forsake me. God promised that he would come to me and that he would live with me and in me. And because of that promise, when I feel like I'm at a distance from God, I know God's there. I may not feel him, and we're a feeling-oriented culture, but I know he's there. I know that because he promised that. In Philippians 1.6, it says that God will continue to work in my life, that he won't give up on me. Friends, like you, I'm a work in process. God is not done with me. 
and one day when he takes me home, he'll perfect me. But until then, I'm still learning, I'm still growing, I'm still being transformed, I'm still being changed, and here's this, even though I'm a sinful person, God does not give up on me. I know even when life is hard and things happen in my life that are discouraging and painful, I know that God still loves me. I know that he is head over heels in love with me because the Bible says that that is a promise that God has made to me. Friends, I don't judge God by my circumstances. I know who God is and he never changes and I rely on that, I base my life on that. I know that one day I will take my last breath and I know that he will take me home to be with him forever. And so I live my life every day in light of that future promise. I don't live like this world is all there is. I live in light of the reality of the promises that God has made to me. This is what Abraham did. He knew that God was going to do something great. Now friends, what I have found in my life to be true and very powerful is that until I take that step of faith and you see it all the way through the Bible, we don't see the incredible acts of God. It's when I take the step of faith that I see God do the incredible the marvelous, the miracles. Here's a third thing that I want you to see. And this is a great, a great reminder. God will see to what you really need. God will see to what you really need. Now this is hard because sometimes we confuse needs with wants. But God will provide what we really need. You're going to hear in this passage, as Ari read it, that Abraham gives God a name on Mount Moriah in that very place. What was the name? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. You see, there are lots of names for God in the Bible that have been given to him by people who have encountered him in that way. God is a God who provides. He's Jehovah Jireh. Listen to what we read here in verses 8 and 9. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Whew, that's a hard one to hear, isn't it? He's, Isaac's looking around, oh, I'm missing something here. We've got the wood, We've got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Listen to what Abraham answered. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Why? He believed the promise of God. And the two of them went on together. And then we read on and we see this. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram that was caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of offering his son. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain 
of the Lord, it will be provided. Okay, we're going to see the power of this in just a moment. But here's what I want you to see. The, when it says the Lord will provide, it's another way of saying the Lord will see to it. How often have you been in a place where you knew you needed the Lord to see to it? You needed Jehovah Jireh. You needed the Lord to provide. Now, he doesn't always provide what we ask for, as we've talked about the last few weeks in our last series. He doesn't always provide what we ask for. But he provides from an eternal perspective everything that we truly need. He's Jehovah Jireh. As I was reading this, I began to reflect on how I've experienced God as Jehovah Jireh in my life. And I remembered stories of things that God just sought to that need in my life, sought to that thing in my life. And Jehovah Jireh provided what I needed in that moment. I want to challenge you today to do two things, to reflect back on your life and where have you seen God as Jehovah Jireh? The Lord will provide. Where and where do you need to experience God as Jehovah Jireh in your life today? So first, where have you seen God as the God who saw to it? as the God who would provide. Friends, we cannot forget those stories. And we need to tell those stories to each other and to the next generation of how God has miraculously provided for us. And then second, where do you need to experience him as Jehovah Jireh today? What is it that you want to ask him for in your life today? Oh God, I need your provision. Oh God, I need you to see to this. It's powerful, friends. It's powerful. Do you know there's more than 350 different names and descriptions of God in the Bible? Like this, many of them were people named him in light of who he is and what he has done. And these are names that are forever true about him. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forevermore. And so... Jehovah Jireh, that name was given to him by Moses thousands of years ago. It's equally true about him today. Today. And then we read this. Abraham and God teach us that the Lord is to be the first love of our hearts and lives. Listen to what we read in verse 12. The angel appears and he stops Abraham. He says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I see that you love God as the first love of your life so that you were you would not withhold anything from him, even your son, after you waited decades for the birth of this child. You did not even withhold him. 
It was 40 years before the promise would be fulfilled. God made the promise 40 years. And in 40 years, Sarah kept getting older. Abraham get, kept getting older. And the chance of that miracle happening became less and less and less over time. And now he says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice that child. And because Abraham did not withhold that which he loved the most in this world, the angel appears and he stops him and he says, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you love God. Now I know that you revere God. Now certainly God already knew that. But it becomes a lesson for you and me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. There is a passage in Revelation that is always stops me cold, where the Lord is speaking to these different churches, and to one of the churches he says this, he says, you've done all these wonderful things for me, you've done all these great things for me, but this I hold against you, you have lost your first love. You see, we can even go to church, we can even live for God, we can even preach sermons and do great things for God, and in the midst of us, we can lose our first love. We can end up loving success more than God. We can end up loving family more than God. We can end up loving uh, money and possessions more than God. We can end up loving uh, comfort and an easy life more than we love God. And God is to be the very first love of our hearts. I want to ask you this morning, in the priority of your life, where does love for God fall? What would you withhold from God if he said, come and give that to me? What would you withhold from him? Friend, friends, whatever that answer to that question is, that has become an idol for us in our relationship with God. I struggle with this. I struggle with this right alongside you. And then finally, I want you to see this. Man, this is, this is extraordinary to me. We learn God provides blessing in response to faith. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, listen to this, and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And then, what I didn't ask Ari to read because I don't know how to pronounce all these names either, right after that passage that Ari read to us, at the end of chapter 22, are the names of a whole bunch of people. Why? Because they are the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham and Sarah that Isaac, through Isaac, they would become the father of a great nation. It says in the very next verse, and so-and-so was now with child. God is fulfilling the promise that he made yet again. 
And indeed, we who believe and love Jesus, though we are not, although we are not maybe Jewish by race, Abraham is our spiritual father. And we are his children, heirs to the promises that God has made. Now, as remarkable as that is, I want to stop with the, I want to finish with this. And it is staggering to me. What we see here is a picture of what is coming. Abraham, and we don't know how much he would have understood of this, given the insights that God gave to him. And Isaac, we don't know how much he understood of this. But what they get to see is a picture of what God is going to do thousands of years later in Jesus Christ, God's son. Do you remember how he referred to Isaac? Take your son Isaac, your one and only son whom you love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I believe that in that moment, every father enters into that story. Every mother enters into that story. And they say, I could never do that. I could never do that. Abraham loved Isaac. And yet in a full, complete, immediate obedience to God, he's willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God, believing that God would give him life because God would always fulfill his promise. Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah becomes the very place where the city of Jerusalem would be built. I've always wondered, was Jesus crucified in that same place that God provided the sacrifice? Was Jesus crucified in that very place where hundreds and hundreds of years before, Abraham had brought his son to be sacrificed and God provided the sacrificial ram, Mount Moriah. Isaac was going to die. The reality is, as we read in the New Testament, all of us, because of our sin, deserve death and the wrath of God. We don't deserve life because of our rebellion against God. And yet God intervenes and he gives life. That is my story. I grew up not knowing God, not knowing Jesus. I gave him my life as a teenager. I deserve the wrath of God, but God gave me life. Because his son became the substitute and stood in my place and received the wrath of God that I had earned, that I deserved, as God provided sacrifice for me and for you, the son, his only son, whom he loved. I don't know that we take that seriously enough. I don't know that we understand how deep and profound that is. Friends, Jesus is called the Lamb of God because he is the Lamb who is substituted in your place and my place 
that we could have life. God was preparing us all the way back in Genesis for the the necessary sacrifice for us. And instead of it being me, instead of it being you on that cross, it was Jesus who, who stepped upon that cross in obedience to his Father in heaven to die the death that gave you and me life. Life as we never knew we could have it before. There are some of you here this morning, God is calling you to respond to him. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's he needs to be the first love. Maybe you've known that God has been calling you to do something for a while, but you've played the win-then game. And you know now, now is the time to be serious about him. Maybe for you, it's understanding that, that God has sent his son to take your place on Moriah. That, that ram that was caught in the thicket was God's own son, Jesus, who would die many, many years later on the cross for you and for me. You are loved that much. And maybe this morning is the time where you need to respond to the invitation of God to come and choose to be his child, to acknowledge that you have not lived the the life that God has called you to live, and that Jesus is the substitute for you on the cross. And all he's waiting for is for you to say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the power of your word that teaches and instructs, that empowers and transforms. Lord, I pray that every person here would heed the power of Genesis 22. Just one portrait, just one snapshot of the life of Abraham, and yet one that carries so much power, so much ability to change our life now and forevermore. So God, work in every heart, mine included, that we will hear what you want us to hear today, that we will be transformed by the goodness of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.